tongue. Thank you, Will. Well, good morning. Uh, I must confess to you, the tears in my eyes, that's my favorite song. It was added in this morning because uh, the choir wasn't able to fully get here because of the weather. So truly, I I am blessed already. Uh, Delighted to be here and be part of both the conference and uh, this morning. It is a, a sacred privilege to come before you and proclaim the word of truth. I am so grateful for your staff. They have been just delightful to me and for the musicians and the worship this morning. Uh, But I'd be remiss to not say that uh, this wonderful life journey that I've had would be nothing without my young bride of 40 years here in the front. Uh, Hopefully you'll get a chance to meet her. But uh, people ask, why would I leave medicine for ministry? And it has a lot to do with, with that song. Basically, as a physician, you deal with matters of the body. And important as that is, the body is temporal. Whereas when we talk about the health of the soul, we're talking about that which is eternal. So I, like many other physicians, have moved in that direction, knowing that uh, we can make an impact that will outlast us. Probably shouldn't have sung that song, since now I can't talk, but uh, we'll we'll get to that. We appreciate you making us feel so at home. In fact, uh, we are from Kentucky, not Alaska, so we didn't actually need the storms yesterday. But uh, we have enjoyed the time. It has been rest. And uh, the church body here from the conference that we've been to is just just a delight. We're excited for you and what God is doing in this place. So if you have your uh, copy of Scripture with you, you can turn to... If he, uh, let's go with Philippians since that's on the schedule. <laughs> and uh, Philippians 4. But before we get there, even as the pastor did the introduction, uh, I was reminded of the man he spoke of, uh, Professor Howard Hendricks, and his words that still haunt me that say, the teacher has not taught until the student has learned. And, and that... As, as a teacher, you'll find that my preaching style is pretty much the same as everything I do. God has gifted me to be able to communicate and teach. That's what I do. So what we're going to do is look at the scripture, see what it says, see what it means, and then try to apply it appropriately. So that over the course of time, as you grow deeper and deeper in your knowledge of scripture, you will become more and more like Christ if you take the truth and apply it. If it's, it's not how much you know that equals spiritual maturity. It's how much that you have trans, it has transformed, that truth has transformed your life. So I was reminded, even as the pastor was speaking, of a couple of verses maybe we'll begin with before we get to our Philippians passage. And in, in John um, 14, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you, but it, it says, Jesus now, and Jesus in the upper room with the, the last words, and you probably remember how that starts chapter 14 you know let not your hearts be troubled but but it concludes with this peace i leave you my peace i give to you not as the world gives do i give you do not let your heart be troubled nor let it be fearful so there's a kind of a peace that is both a legacy that is left to us by his death and a gift that he gives to us that is available um, in christ and through his finished work and uh, just before we begin, I'd like to go to the 15th chapter of John, since we're there. And, and uh, in the uh, 11th verse, it reads, These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy, Jesus, may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. I think it's interesting to note that Jesus passes this peace to them before his death. And if you read when he appears to them again after his resurrection in the upper room... His words are, peace be with you. Wouldn't that be something if when we greeted one another and saw one another, and and some denominations actually do that. They have what's called the passing of the peace, which instead of saying, hey, how's it going? You say, peace be with you, and the response is, and also with you. 
it may be a reminder of the kind of peace that we're going to talk about this morning. Because we live in a, a, a very conflicted time. This is difficult. I mean, there's conflicts around the world. We have North Korea exploding nuclear weapons. We have Iran developing nuclear weapons. We have chaos in a number of places. And it's not just around the world. And you can barely turn on the news without a shooting or some terrible tragedy here. But as important as those are, uh, we're going to bring that concept a little bit more intimately to a personal level. Because while conflict uh, is one idea, and peace being the opposite or absence of conflict, uh, this is a peace that goes and extends in a very personal and intimate way. There can be peace or lack of peace and conflict in church settings, in marriage settings, which we talked about. But the, the battle we want to look at today is the personal battle, the, the battle in the mind, the conflict that happens uh, even as we struggle with keeping our thoughts right and finding that peace and not being anxious. You know, as a physician, I have access to some interesting things, so I thought I'd give you just a few statistics to, to warm us up today. Um, 19.1 million Americans suffer from diagnosed anxiety disorders. 2.4 million from panic disorders. 10% of Americans now are, are battling and being treated for depression. So there's a huge struggle in the physical realm that I think also impacts or is impacted by the spiritual realm. So that's what we want to think about as we get to the text because it would seem as we look around that the question is where is this kind of peace? How can we find it? Does God have a prescription you know, as a physician, I get to write lots of prescriptions, which, by the way, most people don't take properly. Now, I don't want a confession here, but if you go to your medicine cabinet, how many of you have little jars that are like half full of meds because you started feeling better and you quit? Yeah. Well, remember that. Or when you're trying to give medicine to a child and the child is not nearly as enthused about it as you are, and uh, they refuse and you're trying... We actually, in medicine, have some other clever ways to get medicine to them, but not the sort of thing we talk about on Sunday morning. So, with that as a backdrop and the recognition that even a prescription can be perfectly effective, but not if the pills are in the jar, uh, so it is with biblical truth. As long as it remains in the book and under your arm, it likely doesn't have the effect that God had intended. So let's think through this passage. Let me read it for us, beginning in uh, verse 4 of the fourth chapter. Now, the context, this is a whole book about uh, joy. It's a lovely letter to the church at, at, at Philippi. Uh, written by Paul, and it's very encouraging, although this chapter starts with a little bit of conflict within the church, and he's telling them that we'll stand firm and work it out and help these ladies kind of get things going. And then we get to verse 4, where it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, let's commit this time to the Lord and then see as we walk through God's pleasure, God's promise, and God's presence that we find in this text and then take it with us, hopefully, in a transformative way. 
Heavenly Father, as we cry out to you in recognition that our very breath on this very day is a grace gift from you, as we draw apart from the concerns of this day, as we draw apart from the weather and the things that might inhibit our focus, we pray, Father, that you might meet us in this place knowing that your presence is here, your spirit indwells us, and desires to teach us your truths. So, Father, we come with boldness because we come in the name of Jesus. We know we are welcome at the throne of grace because you have invited us and it pleases you when we come. So, Father, teach us your peace. Teach us how we might enter and engage into it and then help us as we interact with others to to be a, a conduit of that peace, that you might minister your grace and your peace through us to those who need a word from you. So, Father, we commit this hour to you in the the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, well, the text begins, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The repeat is to remind us that this is important. And it says to rejoice in the Lord, not necessarily rejoice in the circumstances. Because there will be times where the circumstances are difficult. If you live long enough, you will face some very challenging times. And yet, happiness has to do with circumstances. And so circumstances aren't always well, so you probably won't always be happy. But there can be a joy within you because you understand who you are and whose you are if you have committed your life to Christ. And so you can rejoice in the Lord even in those circumstances. Remember, when Paul was writing this, he was imprisoned. And the people that he was writing to, many of them were captive. Some were turned over to the lions. Some under Nero were dipped in wax and lit as candles. And yet Paul writes... Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. It's sort of an interesting little word because it can be translated, and I suspect with the various translations, it has the gentle idea, but it can also be generous. It can be forbearing spirit. It can be moderation. It's it's a character word that's a very positive sort of thing. And uh, one of the the, uh, passages that I really like in Matthew 11 is Jesus saying, Well, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble or meek and lowly. And, And that's the concept. The very character of Christ is what is focused on here. That we are to rejoice in the Lord regardless of the circumstances, and our character should reveal Conduct, which will then make to a reputation, which he's going to point to right here, that, that you would be known to all men. Is your reputation one of gentleness, of generosity, of, of kindness, of, of, of maturity, of Christ-like character? Because when you think of Christ, that's how he chose to portray himself. And an interesting phenomena, even at uh, Southern Seminary, is this gentleness, meekness, humility is not really on the radar screen sometimes. And one of the reasons I left medicine to teach there was not because we didn't have a lot of smart people. We got plenty of smart people. The question is, do we have enough deep people? People who know what it is to commit their soul to the Lord and go where he calls and do what he asks with whatever giftedness they may have, big church, small church, big town, little church, but rather be open to where the the Lord would lead them. So we see at the beginning that God's pleasure is dependent on right praise, that we should rejoice in the Lord always. It depends on a right reputation. That is that your character is correct because the Lord is near. Now, It's hard to say if he was thinking eschatologically that the Lord's return was imminent because Paul believed, as we should believe, that we live in the last days. 
God never told us how many of those days there are, so we live with that imminent recognition that this could be the day. But it could also mean that the Lord is near because he sent his spirit, the very spirit of truth that indwells us. You can't be any nearer than that. In fact, uh, in Corinthian letter, it says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is a breathtaking statement because for the Old Testament Jew, no one got close to God's presence in the Holy of Holy except the high priest once a year, Day of Atonement. Nobody else could get close. The Jewish priest could get in the neighborhood. The Jewish men could get within eyesight, the Jewish women farther back, and we Gentiles would be in the upper, upper deck. If you had an upper deck, that's probably would have filled in first because we're Baptist and that's the way it works. But it's an interesting phenomenon to consider that we are indwelt by the Spirit. The Spirit is within us, enabling us, empowering us, that we can do precisely what God has called us to do. He has given us the provision that we might honor him with our lives. So we move from that then to the, to the next section, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that is an amazing statement. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. Or in the old language, don't be careful, which meant full of care. Not that uh, you're not supposed to be attentive to what you're doing. But it's a very powerful statement. And And what you're immediately thinking is, well, I tried that. That didn't work. Is it possible that we didn't understand it or we didn't do it correctly? The word anxious or worry actually is a word that means being pulled apart or pulled in two different directions. And Pastor Scott, during the marriage retreat, used an amazing illustration of marriage as two people in one shirt. You know, and so one's on this side and one's on the other side. And if it's going to work right, you have to kind of go the same direction. Whereas you can picture, if those people are going in different directions, there would be chaos and problems. Well, that's what the word means. You're being torn in two different directions. And it says, don't be that, but rather in everything, pray. And that word prayer is the very general word for just face-to-face conversation with God. Then you get to supplication or petition, which which adds an earnestness, a desperation, a specificity, where you really lay it out for God. Now, some people are afraid to talk to God because they're too mad at God. Well, let me suggest to you that this is of no surprise to God. If you are mad, he already knows that. In fact, if you wonder how to talk to God when times are bad, turn to the Psalms. There's some amazing, powerful Psalms. First one I ever got to preach at chapel at seminary was Psalm 13. And it starts out, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And that's inspired by God through David to us. Apparently, you can tell God what's on your heart and he can handle it. Whatever your burden may be, he can handle it. And not only that, he's, he's said through his scriptures that we are to bear one another's burdens. So he's also given us as a family to one another so we can help that along and help one another. There's, there's a community relationship that is essential for our spiritual health. So we are to pray. We are to supplicate or petition. We are to be thankful. Even in desperate situations, you can be thankful for who God is and what God has done in Christ, even if today looks grim. And if you've been around long enough, you've had some of those grim days. Uh, Jane and I have been through our share, and we are the closer for it, and and we don't doubt God's love for us. Um, We're not always certain how he's working things together, 
But fortunately, we have a trust that over all things that he is sovereign and, and he will accomplish his will. And it says, if we do that, don't be worried, but pray, give thanks, and this just marvelous word picture, um, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the peace of God is not just the absence of conflict. It's actually a a wholeness, a wellness, a a satisfaction in him. Uh, One author called it the smile of God on the soul of man. It's that beautiful sensation that you are held in his arms, and regardless of the circumstances, you are his, and you are his eternally. And his love for you has already been demonstrated by his provision for you in Jesus Christ. And so... We have this kind of peace, this contentment in God, regardless of circumstances. And it says that um, this peace will, will guard your hearts and your mind. Now, think about that for a moment. If you look on your bulletin, there's a little pill that has little hearts in it. Um, there's what you're thinking and what you're feeling, your thoughts and your emotions. And this word, the guard, actually means to set the garrison. For those of you who remember old Western movies, you remember those old wooden forts? Well, it was like that. Or if you're a, a medievalist, uh, the castle, where there'd be the castle and, and those walls would protect you. The walls would keep danger out. And, and the walls that we have are pretty clear. We've got, at least on one wall, we've got Jesus Christ and his life and his death. And we have Jesus Christ and his resurrection and his prayer for us and his sending the Holy Spirit. We have on the other wall, he's coming back. How many of you know that he's coming back? I don't know when, but we know for certain he's coming back. And then the last wall is eternity. I don't know how long you're planning to live on this earth, but compared to how long you're going to be with Christ, it's a vapor. Because his love is an eternal love. It's an everlasting love. And his sacrifice was one that was perfect. And it was infinite. So he sets the wall. You pray, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your mind. You go, well, wait a minute. How does the other stuff get in? Yes. Yes, God has left you in control of the gates. You can drop the gate and let stuff in. And sadly, we tend to do that. We kind of let things into our minds and into our sight that we shouldn't. So God is now going to tell us what we should be thinking about, which is very helpful to encourage you what to think not about, the things to avoid. And we are inundated in our day with stuff that is dangerous to you. We were talking before service. 50 years ago, watching TV is a different thing than watching it now. Yes, it was black and white, and we had to actually walk up to the TV and turn these little knobs. It was amazing, but we got lots of exercise that way. Um, now, I mean, there was like three channels, and two of them were so fuzzy you couldn't watch them. Now you've got 400 channels. I can't imagine how many bad shows there are on there. I mean, you can flip through there, and there's like 30 things that no one could ever possibly watch, but they're still on there. Well, we are to guard our hearts and minds and, and be anxious f- for nothing. But by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make our requests known to God. Well, well, Doc, I, I tried that. It didn't work. Well, you see, if, if you only take half of the prescription, if, if I make the right diagnosis and I give you the right medicine, but you only take half of it, well, you'll get better, but you won't get rid of everything. So that bacteria is going to come back. And it's going to come back and it's going to be angry. It's going to come back with mean friends. It's going to come back with a resistance to that antibiotic so it won't work anymore. So we try to tell you to take it and to take it all. Well, this says to pray 
and pray, and God will guard your hearts. And well, I'm, I just am exhausted. I, I, I tried it. It didn't seem to work, and I'm just, I'm just worn out. Okay. That's where the body of Christ comes in. That's where we can come alongside and pray for you. Because there may be a time that you are so burdened by stuff that you really can't even think about praying. Well, be honest. And that's what the brothers and sisters in Christ are for. Take us up and let us, let us lift you before the throne of grace. Because then the prayer continues and the peace of God that surpasses comprehension basically says, your brain can't even grasp how good this is. And that's all right with me. Wouldn't you be concerned if there was a God I could fully comprehend? Even if I was smart, and I probably was when I was young, but, you know, the older you get, stuff starts falling out of your brain. You don't know what's going on anymore. But um, if you came, and if I was a pediatrician, which I'm not, but my son is, and the doctor told you to treat your child, this child needed this med four times a day for 10 days, which is not unusual, and your child said, eh, I don't like the taste of it, would you just go, oh, well, that's fine. No problem. If you don't like the taste, we won't do it. I suspect not. I suspect if you're a good parent, you would figure out a way to get it down or figure out a way to get it in some other form or fashion because you know that that's what's necessary. That's what is prescribed for that strep or for that bronchitis or for whatever. Well, for anxiety, stress, and the things of the world, what's prescribed is an intimate relationship with God. It's basically a soul care issue because it goes into the very heart of who we are. So then... All right, that's what God promises, but um, what else does he add in terms of how we should be thinking? And so we get to verse 8, which you, you'll find on your bulletins, and it's finally, brethren, and, and you know when a pastor says finally, it means nothing. We just keep going. But just, just so that you know. Uh, finally, brethren, I mean, he's talking to the brothers, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these. These are the things that your mind should be wrapped around. And if you look at them, you see that Jesus Christ epitomizes all of these things. But uh, let's kind of think through them. Uh, true. That's what rings true. It's authentic. It's, it's the real deal. Uh, I'm reminded of a bell that's supposed to ring the same tone every time you hit it. And uh, Jane and I, on a mission trip to the former Soviet Union, they have the Tsar's bell that's 10 feet tall. And when it cooled too fast, it cracked. This bell is, I could stand under it and not touch the top, and it's never been rung. It will never ring true. We should be filling our mind with what is true. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. His word is truth. So the more you think about it, the more we should be immersed in Scripture. Honorable is noble, of high character. Those are the sorts of things that you should be dwelling on if you want this guard to do its job, the garrison, the wall around your, your heart and your mind so that you think rightly and you feel rightly. Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, right is just and it conforms to God's character. Are the things you're thinking about true, honorable, right, pure? Pure is a lovely word. It means it, it is undefiled and it will not defile. Uh, one of the illustrations that's used that I like is, is a scalpel, a surgeon's scalpel. Now you understand or hope that it is clean, that it will do its job and it will not cause problems, but in fact be a help. Those are the kinds of things that our minds are to be dwelling on, meditating on, just continually thinking through. Lovely. Lovely is a word we don't use too much, but it means something that brings contentment to the soul. 
And for some, it's it, actually when the snow was falling, it was quite beautiful. If you didn't have to drive in it and could just watch it, and the trees coated with snow, it's beautiful. Um, beaches, mountains. I find great beauty in God's creation because the heavens are declaring the glory of God. You can see it everywhere. But I must confess, the first time I read that the definition of lovely was bring contentment to the soul, the first thing that came to my mind was Jane's chocolate chip cookies. Sorry. Uh, it's not as spiritual as some of you might be. But, man, when those babies are cooking... They call to me. I can hear them. And uh, actually, sometimes they don't even make it to the oven. She starts the dough, and I'm like, all right, so do you never tell real stories about yourself, Pastor? I mean, no, okay. Well, I am imperfect and am being made perfect by my Lord. It's not anything I've had uh, you know, the ability to do. Whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, the things with, that are winsome and attractive and have a good reputation, those are the things that you fill your mind with. Um, Whatever is uh, uh, excellent, and that word can also be translated virtue or virtuous. Those are things to think about, to watch, to, to bring into your mind, uh, and things that are worthy of praise. Praiseworthy things. That's what our minds should be full of. So through the course of this day, what do you pour into your minds? It's been estimated that we are exposed to roughly 1,500 advertisements a day. People are trying to manipulate and train, train your mind or get you to buy something. And now with pop-ups on computers and uh, even phones now get those things, you're just getting bombarded with images. We learned decades ago from movie theaters that if you microsecond put a picture of popcorn and stuff up there so fast that your brain, at least your eyes didn't actually know they see it, your brain would see it and you'd start craving popcorn. Uh, how many of you have watched a commercial and there's this just sizzling steak or burger there and all of a sudden you're hungry? And whatever they tell, that's how advertising works. Well, we have to be careful because the battle is for the mind and we're not winning. But this isn't a new thing. This goes all the way back to before creation. And you think of Satan's sin. It was when he decided, I will, I will, I will be God. He made decisions that were apart from his creator, forgot who was the creature. And so he and those who followed him fell. When we get to the Garden of Eden, we have those who decided, well, God said, but we're going to do something different because we've heard a different slant on that. So recognize that we are getting bombarded with advertisements that are trying to change and shift our mind and shift our way of thinking. We live in a time societally where the pressure is on us as those who believe to switch. I've been in the pro-life movement for 20 plus years as a... Um, 80s, 90s, 30 plus years. Wow, it passes way fast. As a medical director of crisis pregnancy centers and doing ultrasounds on ladies with crisis pregnancy. Well, the world is saying the unborn, they're at least admitting now that those are babies, kind of, but they don't have the same rights as, as the mother. And a very different worldview has come in these, in these decades since Roe versus Wade in 73. And now the whole same-sex marriage thing, those of us who hold to a biblical view of marriage, one man, one woman, if you're with me this weekend, hopefully there's no doubt in your mind, we are being made to look like we're not, we don't get it. We're out of step. Well, that's pretty much what Jesus said. They persecuted me, they'll persecute you. You follow me, you're going to have some problems. And these are the areas of, of our society where we're going to have to decide, what are we going to think, what are we going to do, what are we going to live, what are we going to teach, and... I'm sticking with the word. I think that's uh, how, how we got here. And 
Um, in the Old Testament, I've got a, a verse here that um, I was reminded of in Isaiah 26.3 where it says, He, God, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him or fixed upon him. And in the New Testament, it tells us to take every thought captive. Old Testament talks that in the Psalms, it says that before the words are formed on your tongue, the Lord knows them all. So make no mistake. God knows what's going on in your mind. There's a battle for your mind. In fact, some of you have already yielded. Your brains have already left this message in this text and have gone to where you're going to lunch or when the family's coming or all sorts of stuff. That's how fast it happens. Because as fast as I talk, your mind moves faster. And you can get so that you're thin and boom, you're gone. And you kind of come awake and you realize, wow, how did I get there? Well, you get there because we are fallen creatures in a fallen world and staying focused on biblical truth, whether I'm preaching it or Scott is or whether you're reading it, is a real challenge. And when we are teaching it to our kids, we have to understand how they're wired and how best to teach them. But I guarantee that if you don't teach them, someone else will teach them something. And the world's instruction in the area of holiness and purity is not what you're looking for. All right, that's just a, I must confess to you, that passage has been crucial to me, both personally, what you should think, true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellence, anything worthy of praise, but also in my ministry and counseling and working with guys who are struggling with the world we live in and having been inundated with pornography, whether it's magazines, TV, or internet, or movies, or whatever, they have all these images that have been placed in their mind, and what we now know, brain-wise, is it's made some pathways that you just can't turn off. It's like if there's rain on a mountain, the rain's going to find, the water's going to find the place of least resistance. You're going to find a little channel, and as the, over the years, that little channel becomes a huge cavern. Well, that's what's happening in the brain. So then when a man looks at anything, boom, it takes him right to the bad place. And to rewire that so that that's not the case and that area covers over and new healthy patterns develop, this is what's necessary. You have to begin to take thoughts captive and think on these things and not on others. Kind of use that as a grid when you're thinking about reading a book or going to movies because there's stuff out there that you can't unsee and you can't unread and um, it would be wiser sometimes to just say no and avoid that for your soul's health. This will place a soul scar that is of a depth that you cannot begin to appreciate. Um, Having sat and watched marriages dissolve and husbands and wives just melt over these kind of issues... Um, this is a devastating problem, and it's, it's the generation to come. You will be leading in such a way as to, as to help men and women deal with purity of mind and, and holiness of life. So he, he wraps this section up with uh, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So you have the peace of God that's guarding your hearts and minds, and if you, it's basically the Nike phrase, just do it. You've, you've, you've heard it from me. I've taught you. You've heard me preach. Paul the evangelist, Paul as the arrested criminal, he's very consistent in what he says. His love for the Lord is evident everywhere. His love for people, be they Jew or Gentile, is clearly evident. You've heard it. You've seen it. You've watched me do it. Basically, he's saying, like he said earlier, imitate me while I imitate Christ. Wow. Gentlemen, let me challenge us as as leaders in our home, whether the home is um, multi-children, no children, to to, to man up and be the person that that leads in the following of Christ. 
That is, you determine that you are going to know it, read it, and heed it. It's going to come into your life and transform you, and you are going to be the one that you can say to those who follow you, follow me because I'm following Christ. Imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. There's a modeling, mentoring, discipling, whichever of those words you like. It's intentional. To do it well is intentional. But let me say a word to parents. You are always modeling, whether you're trying to or not. You are being watched, and that goes for the leadership in particular, Um, the way you raise your kids, the way you love your spouse, the way you do everything. People are watching because you are full of the word and full of the spirit, and, and it should be evident in your life. And I would challenge all of us to recognize that we are called to live a life that is holy. And that means set apart. Set apart from the things of this world and set apart to the things of God. So our lives should be distinct and unique. Our marriages should be different. They should be breathtaking because they are picturing the love of Christ for his church. Just do it. Jesus modeled it to Paul. He taught him. He modeled it in life to the, uh, to the disciples that he lived with for years and then the, the Damascus Road experience and then the, the, the time in the desert, I think, was a, a special seminary for Paul where he got some uh, personalized instruction. And he came out of that knowing and being a different person. He was always zealous. He was a religious zealot. He was just wrong in the fact that he, he missed the Messiah. May we not be guilty of missing the Messiah and not appreciating what God has revealed to us in Christ. So as we read through this text, we see that, that, that we are called to rejoice, to rejoice always, to be anxious for nothing, to think on things in particular, that we might not only have the peace of God protecting and surrounding us, but the God of peace within and beside us, so that our lives will be distinctly different from those around us because we know his presence and we walk in his light. And, and so practically, are you at peace? As you come this morning, and, and I'm delighted that you came through the weather and came to worship. And, and I must confess that I, I totally enjoyed the music. Will does just an amazing job with, with some stuff that is to me familiar. Um, you're here because you're, you're looking for something, perhaps a fresh touch from God. Or maybe you were invited and you're a guest or you're... In the, you know, in the neighborhood, and just God brought you here. I don't think of in mistake terms. I think of divine appointment terms. You're here for a reason, and and I pray even if you just read this text to yourself, the power is in the Word and the Holy Spirit applying that Word. So, are you at peace? Uh, what are what are your brain pathways like? Uh, where does it naturally flow? What are you thinking about when you go to bed at night and put your head on the pillow? What's going on in there? Is it a lot of worry and concern? Or have you found the protection of the peace of God that guards your heart and your mind? Do you find yourself controlled by anxiety? And if so, pray. And if you can't, get one of us to pray alongside you that we might bring you to the point of absolute confidence in the word of God and the provision of God in spite of what the circumstances may be. And it may be that God will use one of us to help you through those very circumstances. So if you've tried it and given up, may I suggest that God's word is true and perhaps we need to just press on. Sometimes the lesson is in the praying itself. When you learn that God is God and you are not and that you are utterly dependent upon him, that is a valuable lesson. 
even if you don't get necessarily the answer you were thinking for. Actually, God often answers questions in ways that you would not anticipate. He often doesn't answer them at all. He just presents himself. And that, I think, is the sweetest response to prayer, is an intimate relationship with God. So this is the word of truth, and we should respond to truth as truth demands. But as important as that is, you're not saved by thinking the right things. You're not saved by feeling the right feelings. You are saved by the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and no other way. So if you're here this morning, the only way you can experience this peace that I've talked about all this time is by committing your life, by trusting in God's provision in Christ. There's no other way. If there was, God would have told us. I know that seems very narrow-minded, but God being God gets to decide how it is that you can approach him. And we, being sinners and separated from God, have no access except that God made provision. We are without hope without Christ. And yet Jesus took on human flesh so that he can identify and represent us, but he was fully God. So his life and death was of infinite and eternal value. So his blood poured out is sufficient to cover your sins and mine. Not only cover temporarily like the the Old Testament sheep and bulls and goats, but permanently, eternally, once for all. So if you're here this morning and you've never experienced this peace, then I invite you to come as as in a brief few moments we'll have a time of invitation. Come and and take the pastor's hand or one of the staff and, and understand what it is to trust Jesus Christ. That is the way that one enters into this kind of peace. No other way. Perhaps you've been a Christian a good long time but have never in obedience been baptized. That's what is required of you. Jesus died in your behalf and he asks you to make a public testimony through, be it a river, which would be really cold today, or through, through the baptismal pool as a demonstration and a visual testimony that I have placed my life in Christ. Or perhaps you are a believer and you've been baptized and you're new to the community or you don't have a church home. Well, I can tell you this. Jane and I have only been here over the weekend and uh, your church has already made us feel like family. So this is a place that, that uh, I would recommend to you to place your life. Because I believe there's some folks here that have really got God on their hearts. And they really want to, to see this community um, explode with the gospel truth. Now, how God will work that out, I don't know. But I know he'll work it out through people. You've got leadership that knows where they're going. They know the Lord. They love the Lord. They love their families. So let me encourage you to follow them as they follow Christ. So let me pray for us, and then uh, I will invite the pastor to come and and proceed with the invitation and the music. And and let me say again how grateful we are for the time that we've been here. You have been a most gracious host, and the fact is we've had just a magnificent time. So I thank you. So pray with me now. Heavenly Father, as we pause and reflect, reflect, we recognize that you have loved us to the uttermost. You loved us enough to create us. You loved us enough to redeem us in Jesus Christ. And you love us enough to sustain us day by day. You have offered to us the peace, your peace, that will guard our hearts and minds. You have offered to us your very presence as we walk through the day that your spirit would indwell us and produce in us the the rich fruits of the spirit. So, Father, I ask your blessing on, on this family, on this congregation. 
Lord, that they might sense your power and, and your pleasure in them and that you might give them a, a great and daunting task that they cannot accomplish except through your filling and your power and your spirit. And, Father, for those that you have drawn to this place who, who are anxious, who are troubled, who are struggling with issues, let them know that this is a safe haven for them to come and share those concerns, to be prayed with and encouraged, and to be walked alongside through, these, uh, through the valleys that, that they may face. So, Father, I commit them to you in the wonderful name of Jesus, my Lord.